extra video here. Sweet. With Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with, with my buddy, John Burdell. Brito. Brito. But, you know, oh, you go with a hard E on it. Brito, but you know what? Everyone mispronounces it, including like people who've been close to me, my friends. Cool. I mean, just outside of the family, pretty much everyone pronounces it Brito. All right. Now, I feel like this has happened to me several times at the start of a podcast. I asked this question. Have you confirmed it's Brito? Like, you, I mean, have I gone on Andrew's Have you, have you traveled like, back in time and, and talked like to some Asked yeah. some people? No. I mean, you don't have a time machine? No, not at all. And actually, the funny thing is, just till like not too many years ago, I was with my uncle at his house in Fitchburg. My whole family's mostly Central Mass. Uh, my dad grew up, you know, in Fitchburg and a little bit in Jersey. But uh, my uncle was like, yeah, I actually traced back the name and it goes back to the bridal region of France. Okay. Like they were all horse carers and that's where the name Brito comes from. But outside of that, my family, for some weird reason on both sides, the heritage like really got lost and murky and is one of my like hmm. things I want to go trace because I know we're French Canadian and most of the French Canadians came down and worked, you know, in the last century in the mills in Massachusetts. Like I don't know anything yeah. about my heritage. I don't even speak French. Yeah. It's expansion high school, but I don't know anything about my name. All yeah. I know is we're Irish, French, Scottish. Dutch. Interesting. I pro- I still do. My whole family pronounces my name wrong. We found out later. Cervideo? It's, it's supposed Cervideo. to be Cervideo. Cervideo? Yeah, we just all say Cervideo because it's just like the most American way to say like two Latin roots, Cervideo. Yeah. And like it, I was like literally found that out in my 20s. And I was like. <laughs> and I remember in your last podcast you were talking about yeah. it a little bit. Yeah. And I, I literally, probably the same thing. So, it could be Burdo. Who knows? And who knows? But I'll, I'm going to go with Brito since yeah. that's what you, that's what your family does. So John Brito, he, uh, CEO of World Team. Yep. That's a pretty mm-hmm. uh, pretty fancy title. That's it is. Chief I mean, executive officer. Yeah. And so there's a funny thing with that because when I was first hired, they asked me what I wanted my title to be, which is kind of a weird question. And um, I was taking over for the former president CEO, Van Brinson, and he had always referred to himself as that. And then the board, I said executive director because he wasn't done yet. And we were kind of having this switchover period. Sure. In most small nonprofits, your leader is your executive director. Yeah. What I've found is that's great. And I yeah. don't care. What I found was people didn't get what my position was yeah. until he left officially. And then they were like, well, you're the new president CEO. And then the more I talked to people, like, no one really knows what executive director means. Yes, you you serve a board or you're, you, know, you work under a board. But so does most president CEOs. Like, it's yeah. usually you work under a board. So really the term is nothing it's more confusion that it's way more confusion. but we totally get it like at boston speaks up we had brendan ryan yep. from hub week and he's in his official capacity as executive director of hub right. week totally Which is pretty normal. i'm more of a you know i like i like the ceo title i think it's inherently understood you know it's very, yeah. very matter factly understood by you know it makes even the, the, the laymen and women out there yeah it like clarified a lot with the people who have been around with world team for yeah. Decades. I mean, we're 25 years old now, and here comes a 34 year old, you know, kid in their mind yeah. that's taking the reins and sending out emails and, and changing things. So for them, it was like, for me, I had to be like, okay, I'm the new guy that's replacing Van. And sure, call me the chief dishwasher. It doesn't really matter to me, but yeah. just so they kind of respect the changes and stuff and they don't feel like I'm a crazy guy. So. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about World Team and what and what you guys are up to. I also would love to kind of maybe start with briefly just how you got to this position and sure. you were a participant at World Team events, uh, but kind of take us back in time, like um, at least just professionally for now, and you know what got you, you know what was your first role job in sort of the, the nonprofit sure. world? Yeah. Um, kind of interesting. I worked for Nike for years at a uh, college, actually in college. And at the time, I was a manager over at the uh, the Newberry Street store and was building my career there and everything was great. What years are we talking right now? 2004 to 2010. I think I left. No, excuse me. 2005 to 2010. I think I was there for just about five or six years. Cool. I used to go to that Nike store all the time during it's, that time period. It was so period. much fun. Yeah. And, you probably, I'm like, I was, I was doing merchandising for them and, um, got my hand in a little bit of stuff they're doing nationally on the East coast at least. And, 
different stores. And really, I loved working for that company. I mean, who wouldn't? I still yeah. have a closet full of shoes that yeah. I barely wear and all sorts of garb. But it's a good role. You were young. Yeah. You were like, super you were like young. did you start that role when you were in your late teens? Yeah, I think I was 19, 20, somewhere around there. Cool. I would say like in, in went up to – it was somewhere around that time frame. I would yeah. say 19, 20. And then um, I think I left there and I was probably 25. But before I left, we had hired someone with Asperger's as part of the Best Buys jobs program. And Best Buys, most people know for the Tom Brady-led bike ride that goes down to the Cape. Um, and they're you know global organization helping people out with intellectual and developmental disabilities and i had no idea who they were but my boss at the time was like you're going to manage this gentleman richard sturdivant who um has asperger's but he's going to be here three days a week he's you know similar to your age i think he was a few years older than than me at the time and we just sort of bonded and hit it off but he single-handedly changed the workplace for us i think you know we were very young at nike and, and the group was a little harsh on each other and and then next thing you know you had to have uh, or work with someone that was a different skill set or understood things at a different level. And Asperger's is, you know, linked. It's hard for me to stay up with the jargon, but it's a form of autism, although now it's been just recognized on its own. And it hit home for me. Yeah. And I got more involved with Best Buddies. And kind of the same way, on my way of Nike, I got a phone call from a good friend, Craig Welton, who was running the programs for the state at the time. And I had done their bike ride to the Cape twice and we fundraised, you know, a little good amount of money with the other employees and my wife. He was like, you should come work for Best Buys. You'd be a great fundraiser. You yeah. speak well. You've spoken on behalf to other companies about what it means to hire someone with special needs. And I was like, I don't know, man, this nonprofit world, I'm, you know, I'm working at Nike right now. The yeah. benefits are unbelievable. Yeah. I, here's my career. And then I kind of just took a chance. I wasn't doing anything the summer after I left uh, Nike and, I kind of thought about it a lot and I was like, talk to a few people. Why not take a chance? Yeah. So I took a chance. 2010, um, 11? Yeah. And yeah. in 2010, I believe it was November, 2010. Cool. Um, started there as a fundraising coach. I remember the vice president um, who was eventually my boss, uh, Mark Lewis sat with me in a bar in Boston and he was like, I'm going to hire you <laughs> and you're, and, and you're going to start at the bottom and you're going to learn everything. And you're going to absorb everything. And we're not going to treat you like you're the golden star or anything. But you're going to work your way up and give you opportunity. And I think you're going to do great things here. And he was so dead honest. And he was right. I mean, they gave me. Sounds like a great mentor, which yeah. is the theme of this podcast is Boston has great mentors. And it was cool, even <laughs> though he's cool. in Miami. Okay. You know, but right. <laughs> he he was a great mentor along with my colleague, uh, Mike Collins at the time. And they both just let me put my hands in everything like that. I wanted to, like there was no relationship that was really off limits for me. And the funny thing about nonprofit world is people think it's, you're just doing the mission. You're out there um, taking care of children, painting houses, doing the, well, the development side, which is what I was into is very much relationship oriented. It sells to the T. Yeah. And that yeah. to me was the whole, like, yeah. that's what got me to stick around. Yes. Yeah. It was a bike ride. Yes. I was a cyclist. Yes. I was into, Mm -hmm. big events but i'm a people person i'm a talker i like to schmooze i like to jazz it up with people and, and bring them in and i kind of hone that skill set with them guiding me on how to get people to raise more money mm -hmm. find donors mm -hmm. especially wealthy people who can give and just bringing people into the ride and i just rode my bike a lot i talked to a lot of people and mm -hmm. i encouraged them that they could do it and they could make a big impact with with Best Buys, and, and it turned out to be a really great thing for me for seven years. And then someone from the DC ride, Best Buys had a DC ride for many years, it stopped in 2014. He was a sponsor with Capital One, and he was like, we become good friends. He was like, you got to come down and do this ride in yeah. DC, face of America. Got to come do it. It's right up your alley. You like helping people. You're a great rider. Da, da, da. And it was for this nonprofit world team. And I came down in 2015. I want to say in April 2015 was my first time and I did face America and I did it three more times after that as a rider, just fundraising, having fun on a sponsor team. Yeah. Like enjoying it outside of, I put on bike rides all year. Now I get to enjoy a bike ride where I wasn't in charge and I wasn't staying up all night preparing for it. I was just riding my bike and helping people. And I found more joy working with 
the disabled veterans and military members. Um, that ride is predominantly based around military uh, disabled veterans and just working with them and riding, like meeting people, especially even the able body riders who are like, you know what? Yeah. My dad served. I'm here. I've been on the bike like twice and I'm about to 120 miles in two days or 112 miles in two days. Okay, well, let me give you a hand up this climb. Mm -hmm. And that to me just kind of struck a chord. Like this organization was doing so much good. Um, just like Best Buddies. There's a lot of beautiful different. stories behind the why. Yeah. Like why people were there. Yeah. It's just you you get all these backgrounds and they're so different. I didn't serve. Um, you know, I don't have anyone in my direct family that was disabled or injured while serving. But I had a lot of friends and family that served. And that kind of struck home. Like, hey, this might be my opportunity to give back. You know, yeah. I mean, this is... This is a good thing. Yeah. And it kind of tapped into a, like I tell people all the time, it's good to get uncomfortable. Yeah. Very yeah. uncomfortable oh, yeah. for me to do that ride the first time. But it's uncomfortable for a lot of other people too. I mean, when someone with an amputated leg comes up next to you in a hand cycle and they've seen things that you're never going to see, and then you start chopping it up and it's like, oh man, I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I don't, how do I relate to this person? Yeah. But then you do. And then yeah. it just happens. That's like, World, yeah, that's what I, it's. It's interesting, and we probably both could just go off on tangents about about being fathers because I know you're your father as well. But I've been, we've been really like our daughter's just turned two, and just thinking about like you know just instilling in her as it's important to instill in all young people right now. There's like humility and 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 courage and loyalty and empathy and all those things. But you just made me think of Brene Brown, like when you mentioned like because what she says is all like no courageous act comes without every courageous act comes with from a point of vulnerability right and if if in in some of the most rewarded rewarding things in our lives or you know when we we work up the courage to, to sure. do something and and it's and it's and it can be a vulnerable thing to do but it can be a very um rewarding thing which um i'm being reminded of every day when i'm with my two-year-old like we were at you know we could talk about the North Shore a little bit. I was at uh, I was up in Rockport yesterday. I was at Singing Beach, yeah, our old stomping grounds, old Manchester stomping by the Sea. Yeah, yeah. And my my daughter's like introducing me to people. Like she's going <laughs> up and she's like saying how to people, and she's like very. And it's it's great because she's 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 stunning like her mother, and then she's got daddy's personality. She's oh, yeah. making friends left and right. Uh, but I feel like you know that's it's it's interesting hearing hearing you um, talk about that. I'm compelled to ask, and just thinking about you know, my own dynamic with, with my daughter and thinking about how I got that from my parents. Where does that come from for you? Like you mentioned in your pre-podcast uh, question and answer, you know, your, your dad is, is perhaps like one of like the most inspiring person in your life and just someone that you've drawn a lot from. Um, but where's that, like that social courage come from to just seek out the why and yeah. all sorts of people. And, and you clearly have an amazing ability um, to just practice empathy which is, which is so critical, but do you, it's probably hard to like pinpoint that specifically. Does that, does that come from yeah. your upbringing in, in, in Manchester by the sea? Yeah. I mean, a great town, obviously, like I was telling you in the pre-podcast thing that um, Manchester is a great place to grow up. I mean, it's, it's definitely a small little town where everybody knows everybody. And for the most part, great people. And, you know, definitely a, um, a community that fosters a lot of great relationships and, um, but my father, my, my, I have great parents. My father and mother, I just saw them this weekend up in Maine. They just moved to Sebago Lake eight years ago now. Nice. Um, my mom's very talkative, social butterfly. You know, she would hate for me to say this on a podcast, but well, she won't shut up ever, which is good because <laughs> that's how she's, you know, she's a nurse, uh, pediatric gastroenterologist, nurse practitioner, I should say. And um, she has that ability to talk with anyone. My father is the same way, but he's very humble and very, very caring person, um, gets into every conversation pretty deep. And he's a recruiter. I mean, I probably was born from two parents that have the most ability to talk to people in any situation, whether they're on a subway car or on the phone or caring for a for a patient like both of them have rubbed off on me my siblings are different like they both have those same skill sets but i think for some reason with me that kind of aligned yeah in a certain way and i have my moments where i don't 
really want to like I get I kind of get very um, focused in on stuff and I kind of block out things and I like to do a lot of fishing and riding but just yeah. alone. Are you where are you but, in the with your siblings? Who's the oldest? Uh, my sister's the oldest. My brother's the youngest. I'm right in the so middle. So right in the middle. Okay. I'm very independent, yeah. which is kind of yeah. everyone tells me, oh, of course you're a middle kid. But it was true. <laughs> I blazed kind of my own path. I moved out of the house early. I was independent very early. Um, and I sort of always done things my own way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've carried their skill sets of connecting with people. And I don't know, like my father's always, he, he used to run the, um, the, our old church had a, weekly food service at the Cape Ann food pantry up in Gloucester. And so they would volunteer for a specific day. And I don't know if it was weekly, it was probably monthly. Um, but he would lead that effort and he was just very into like getting, giving back to people oh, and cool. like just getting involved and not being too privileged because he came up and built everything he got. I don't think he really was born with much. And um, I feel like he, never wanted to take that for granted and didn't want us to either of like, listen, there's a lot of people struggling in this world, whether it's wealth or it's just mentally, physically, all the different boxes that you could check that people need someone else. And I think that kind of rubbed off on all of us. Like "Eh, you've had a pretty good life and a lot of people, no matter who you are, there's always someone out there that probably has had a little bit worse. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, So you, Live on the North Shore again now. We're actually both we're, we're neighbors Be- now. Beverly, Beverly brethren. And yeah. We're both we're, so uh, John and I were co- we we both work out of the windy um, windy film space in East Boston, and for some months, and I was in a home search in Beverly, and it just mm-hmm. came up one day, and you're like, oh, I live in Beverly. Yeah. Play, you're like it gave a nice strong endorsement for that, and uh, it got got together at Atomic once. Yeah. Since, yeah. I, since I've been, I'm finally like out from under my daughter's second birthday party so i feel like i have more time to to hang and also more time to ride i just got my bike tuned up so, nice so, perfect yeah, let's, let's, which is good because i yeah. need reasons to ride as a parent and as you know and you're just busy like if you don't make time for it just yeah. never happens yeah i did that thing where like i kind of put myself especially like physical stuff on the back burner while i was getting ready for Mila's birthday party but i told i said to my wife i'm like the week going up to a birthday party, I'm bringing my bike in for a tune-up, and I picked it up the Monday nice. after the party, nice. and I got on it a couple times already since, and I'm like, okay, cool. Like it's, it's so beautiful here. I, my brother was in town. I took the train to Rockport nice. with him with the bikes, and then we like Roll me, back. me entered back on like 127. I was going to say 127. Yeah, it was, like, yeah, it was right. great. So we'll, we'll we'll have to do that. Isn't uh, it funny? It never leaves you though. Like you could put the bike away for years, and everyone says that. Yeah. Like I teach people all the time how to ride these charity rides, and they're like, you know what? It's just as fun as it was when I was 14 before I got my lessons. I'm like, I know. It's crazy. That's why all of us are out here all yeah. the time. And we know we don't look great doing it. Or, yeah. you know, people pick it back up after all sorts of different reasons, midlife crisis, et cetera. And they, it's like they, it never left them. Yeah. Like you still smile every time you get on the bike. Now yeah. You might grind your way up a mountain. You hate yourself yeah. for about an hour. But yeah, it's so awesome. Yeah. I love it. My, my brother's. Uh, he's a writer out in Los Angeles and he was visiting. He's pretty funny. And, and I was like, Oh, you good? Like, cause I have an extra speed bike. And I was like, here you go. Like, do you know, like, do you want me to go through it with you? And he's like, no, it's cool. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, but he exactly like literally hadn't is. ridden a bike in probably a decade. Like he just, he doesn't ride in LA. I always did when I lived there, but, uh, he, just, great he just, he just doesn't. Um, so how long have you spent, you spent time in, in Boston too. I'm curious, like if you can, I mean, so obviously the Boston speaks up listeners, um, sort of the core audience are a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs, just sort of like mm-hmm. tech innovation minded folks, um, uh, increasingly not living in Boston, or at least like a, a lot more people are seeking out, um, you know, communities. And everyone goes in those Boston. phases, right? Yeah. Like the, yeah. your life hits you and at a certain point in time, you're like, get me out of here. And then there's so I'm sorry yeah. to cut you off. No, it's all good. I was in Boston from uh, northeastern from 2002 to like 2000 and well probably 2010 um, when I left Nike. We my wife and I both moved home from our Queensbury Street apartment, Fen uh, the Fenway area, which was awesome because you could drop your window down and listen to the Sox game like every night, um, which is such a cool neighborhood. I don't know if you ever live in the fans, but it's fantastic. Sort of. Cl- I, so I, I at BU, is at Boston University for four years. My 
sophomore year, I lived in the in Shelton Hall, yep. which used to be a Sheridan, yep, which yep, yep, and yep. Ruth used to stay in during mm-hmm. the season way back. Like that Sheridan had been there forever. So I essentially lived in Kenmore Square. The year and the year was two thousand four. What so we reversed the curse that yep. year. So I was like at ground. I was on the other side of the fence yeah. that year on Hemingway. So, so we were on other sides of like ground zero of like just melee. A bit like you know, one of the re- greatest years of my life. The Yankee, you know, the comeback three yeah. from the Yankees and just just incredible. I mean, we would be listen, we'd be watching the game in my in my dorm with the window open. And Manny would be up, and you'd hear all of a sudden you'd hear ah! you'd hear the crowd go wild, and then like five seconds later. You'd be like, well, something good's coming. And then Manny would, I think he hit like a wall ball double. Yeah. And we're like, there we go. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. It, it was like, you would think it would take the fun out of it, but it was kind of cool because it was yeah. like we were there with the crowd and then we were watching. You used to do the same thing on Hemingway Street. We had a yeah. couch up there, 120 Hemingway, and, and listen to the crowd. The, the day Veritech and A Rod got in the scuffle, which oh. they were just on Twitter the other day. Yeah. Um, when he, when he punched A Rod going down first baseline. We were on the roof listening to that and then ran down to watch the replay. It was just so, it was such an incredible time. But yeah, I, we lived in Boston for. Yeah, how many years were you in Boston? Almost 10. I was, it was like eight or nine or something. Um, and how long have you been in Beverly? Since 2014, so five years. So for the most part, uh, yeah, eight years in Boston. I was in Manchester for eight or nine months, helping my parents sell their house. And then I lived in Hudson with my in-laws, actually, which I'm, it's like a great story now because I don't even, it's like so long ago and I get along so well with my Mm in-laws, but I lived with them for two years while my wife and I were kind of, I don't know, I I was building my career in the nonprofit world and she was trying out all these different career paths and we finally got, uh, everything saved up to buy a house. So we did. And I told her right away, I'm like, listen, we can go back to the city, but I want to go back to the North Shore. Like, there's yeah. nothing better. It's the best place I've ever lived. I've always wanted to live there. Yeah. Um, raised my kids there, and Beverly was the the town to do it. And it's quite it's been great. Hub. Yeah, quite the hub. Were you at the block party on Saturday? No, I. Okay. So we were up in uh, May. Oh, you were in May, and that's right. Visiting so your I folks. missed it. So missed it. There's one more coming. Oh, good, Is good. It, yeah. For, for for Boston speaks up listeners, like, I, and I was literally bought a house in Beverly, knowing many of the good things, but. I've, been so impressed with what a hub it really is like there's there's been uh there's been an arts festival there was just a block party like the the cabot and Mm rantoul just like constant foot traffic like i can't believe just a lot of low and you mentioned this in your pre-podcast you know question and answer how like it's just important to like have very mindful like civic um you know civic leadership and and sort of city development like making sure like small like local brick and mortars mm-hmm. can can exist and just feel like there's very intentionally you can tell beverly and salem too um have a lot of local businesses that are like really thriving yeah um but there's also just like a lot of there's like a lot of people just a lot of it's foot traffic a lot downtown. of people i mean it's forty thousand people now i think yeah. in beverly alone like 44 in salem so that whole area like beverly salem danvers Peabody. You're looking at, I don't know, it's probably just under 200,000 I looked people. this up recently. So I was surprised. So Salem's like 35. 35,000? Yeah. I it's it less. 44. Beverly's 42. Uh-huh. And it may be, and maybe, I'm just, and, huh. and Peabody's the biggest. Peabody's the biggest. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I swapped those out. Yeah. But it's a lot of people in a small area. And Beverly, growing up, Beverly is always a real great place. We used to go to the Y. used to come play baseball, basketball here. But um, That's I right. wanted yeah. something that was a little more available. Like Manchester is a great little small town like you would see in a book. I mean, it's just fantastic. But Beverly, you have five train stations, yeah. which is insane. It's insane. I Beverly Depot, every 10 minutes in the <laughs> morning and afternoon, you can get home. So for us, it was like you could, the availability. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you could go and like you said, there's a million places to go to dinner. And we like that. We miss yeah. Boston. But we didn't want to be downtown anymore. We we did the Back Bay thing. Yeah. I did the shoot. I was in Roxbury for a while. I was yeah. in uh, Watertown. I was in Cambridge. I was all over the place. And we just sort of were like, well, we want a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, let's talk. About, let's talk about the public transit a little bit because my, what I've been pleasantly surprised with I actually helped recently influence my uh, so my wife's cousin and her boyfriend. They're in their late twenties and they're making that move. They're moving from ones nice. in Southie, ones in Dorchester, and they're moving to San Lamas. And cause I was like, yeah, I take the train to the, to the city all the time. And like, even my, you know, my brother was here last week and 
you know, I'm right by Montserrat. I, yep. like, t- you know, when I go into Boston, I just ride in Beverly Depot. So you get, so for listeners, like if in the same thing for opposite commutes, like you can take the train from North station and you're in Salem in like 24 minutes and you're in Beverly in a little over 30. Um, but my brother and his wife, they got on the train at Montserrat right by my house. It's like a five minute walk. Yeah. And they went a couple stops to Manchester Yep. Got off and went to Singing Beach for the day. That's the move. And so I did that. A f- I did that a few weeks ago, and I ran into some the actually the folks that used to rent out this mezzanine oh, space really? that we're in. Yeah, Jordan. I don't know if you remember Jordan, who used to be in this yeah, very room. So, yeah. So he he's like, I heard someone say, "Yo, Zach," and I turned around I'm like, "Jordan, what are you doing here?" He's like, he's like, it's he's like from Cambridge. We just go to North Station and hop on the commuter rail. He's like, this is like the best. He's like, we can get to this beach like on the train i'm like oh wow that's amazing um and you know my brother and his wife are kind of getting over la it's kind of getting played out for them and he's like after he came on this trip he's like i didn't realize how good the transit was so like the my last point and i'm just curious what you think overall on transit and there's obviously some areas to improve but like it's literally more efficient even to get to like the airport or south station Mm -hmm. like so when my brother went to catch his flight because he went home later than his wife he got on the train, took it to Chelsea, and they have that SL3 bus, yeah, yeah. Yep. which takes you to the airport and then goes on to South Station. And he was at the airport in 40 minutes that's, from that's my house. And I'm like, if I drove you, it would have taken me 40, 45 minutes <laughs> without traffic. Right. So it's actually like, it's nice. And it, it, it makes me want to, um, like, I, and now like I've been wanting to just learn a little bit more about like what infrastructure exists in Massachusetts that currently isn't utilized right. like, train infrastructure because mm-hmm. we're all, like place like Boston, greater Boston's only going to get more and more densely populated. It's more people are going to go to North shore, of course, but like other adjacent communities, like I'm from the Merrimack Valley and, and it's just like, there's, there's like linear paths to Boston, but like, mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about like, are there any ways to like connect those communities and whatnot? But yeah, I just I, I've been really really happy with um, with the with the public transit system. And you're right; it's every every ten minutes there's a train at Beverly Depot. Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, that's why we picked that area. And you know, obviously, we're trying to go back to Cape Ann area, but um, it's it's the greatest thing for most people is the transit. But it's also like the biggest opportunity, like you were just saying. I'm not the biggest transit nerd but i'm around a lot of people who are so i get a lot of the trickle down stuff um i'm on the board for mass bike which i have a board meeting in like a couple hours um so i hear a lot of the things that are evolving i think there's just such a big opportunity because the all the lines are super old and those communities are well developed and every city has this problem it's like pick the communities in between of all the major highways and all the major transit lines and those are the ones that have opportunities that's where yeah. people don't want to live and commute because it's a pain in the butt i think traffic and i just just listened to the government this morning talk about it on the radio it's like the the traffic problem is only going to get worse because the ride share driven companies uber and lyft are literally giving people opportunity to make money yeah they're flooding the adding, streets. yeah they're just yeah. flooding the streets with yeah. cars and i think for me, as much as I love my truck, I love my car. I like I get around where I need to. God, it's so it's so annoying to drive anywhere now, yeah. and it's a pain in the butt. It's not efficient. It costs a ton of money. So if you can get anywhere by transit, and for me, if you can do a little bit of both, like the bike and transit, yeah, that's like, that's what I. That's do. where it's at. We're a one car family. We're about to be. I think. Yeah, I think we're about to get rid of one of the cars, Good. which is. Good for yeah, good for you. I, I I just don't. And if the streets streets are flooded with Ubers and Lyfts, when you need them, you just you there you go. It's part. I love the, to use them. It's but, part of the mix. Yeah. No, no, yeah, same here. Um, so, anyways. So, let's talk about World Team. Yeah, sure. And I was I was chatting with our our partner, uh, Windy Films, a bit about some of the developments at World Team. I know there's like there's two like sort of critical mass events that you guys are having mm-hmm. right now and i think there's also like i don't know how much you want to speak to like sort of the the arc of of uh growth for for world team and mm-hmm. at times there's, there's been different numbers of events but kind of however much you want to draw on sort of like historically what you've done and what you've learned sure but then also like moving forward like how can people um participate learn more and like what you know there's we have an event coming up this 
this fall. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just, you know, talk a little bit about the the current initiatives and also like when you came in, what were you tasked with, what did you learn? And 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 that's why where you're arriving at right now. Yeah. So a little background, World Team has been around for 25 years. Um, We're an inclusive uh, disabled athlete organization. Um, We create inclusive events for both able and disabled athletes. We, We bring them together through sporting events. Um, it's the organization's changed so much over the years and for the good and I wouldn't say for the bad, but there's been um, times where the economy and the way that nonprofits operate has changed so vastly that we've had to change like anyone. But um, for many years, we were doing really big athletic events. There was a ride around the world in the 90s. Uh, they took 30 plus um Vietnam veterans back to Vietnam uh, in the late 90s or uh, mid 90s. And there were some really big events that cost a lot of money with huge sponsors. Now, as someone who's been doing development for 10 years in the nonprofit world, those budgets really start drying up Mm -hmm. when the economy changed after 2008. I mean, you can hear it from people who've been in the business for 20 years. They'll tell you there's just been a drastic change where a lot of marketing directors and uh, CMOs would go into board meetings and they weren't able to really justify the ROI on social impact through charity events. So like you started to see a lot of those sponsorships dry up and with that world team changed instead of doing these rides around the world or, or doing the Vietnam ride, or even we did uh, a bunch of mountain hikes, one of which brought soldiers up uh, Lobache um, in Kilimanjaro, we were doing these things that cost a lot of money and it was hard for us to operate. Yeah. So I'd say 10 years ago, the organization really started to change and focus on, um, kind of a set of events. And I've now split up when I came in, one of the things that I looked at the website and I started going through all materials. I'm like, we're kind of all over the place. Like we serve different populations of disabled athletes and it doesn't really make sense. So we divide into three initiatives. Uh, Right now we have the military initiative, which involves the face of America bike ride, which is a two day event from DC to Gettysburg serving about 600 riders. uh, I'd say over a hundred of which are disabled military veterans. Um, most of the riders are some form uh, tied in with the military community. And then we do a special abilities initiative, which there's three small private events, not necessarily open to the public. Like we don't have a registration website, mm-hmm. but through some funding, we will put on three events with uh, nonprofits that serve the special needs community. So um we just did one in upstate New York with the Center for Discovery, which is one of the most fantastic yeah. places I've ever been. You mentioned that also. Yeah. Severely disabled um, adults and youth. Um, it's a program that has uh, housing and uh, jobs all integrated into this campus. You have people who travel to the campus every day as well, but they're doing really impactful work with the severely disabled um, people who need a lot of support throughout mm-hmm. the day. And we put on an event for them. And it's based off of our Adventure Team Challenge, which is the third initiative, the Adventure Initiative. And that Adventure Team Challenge Colorado event's coming up in September. That's probably the single most unique event that we do. I think it's going to be part of our future because as much as bike rides are great, there's a million bike rides out there. Yeah. And, you know, riding is a great unifier. Everyone can throw their leg over a bike and um, and then do it. But the adventure team challenge is a, is a adventure race for teams of five, three of which are able body athletes, two are disabled, uh, one ambulatory. And we put them through multiple stages of adventure racing where they whitewater raft, mountain bike, hike, um, rappel and rock climb through a course that's very lightly marked. Mm-hmm slash not really marked at all. (laughs) So they get a map the night before and a compass, and then it's up to them to get through the course with checkpoints and, you know, various checkpoints will be kind of fun. Like you have to take a blow dart and hit a target, or you have to solve a a riddle or what have you. So um, it's the most unifying event I've ever seen because it's not just for the disabled athlete or adaptive athletes as we call them. 
you have able-bodied athletes who have not really ever worked with someone with a disability, let alone a W amputee or someone even with TBI or PTSD. Um, they haven't been in that uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. And now they have to get through this really grueling course. It's not easy. Yeah. It's hard. And they might not be a cyclist. So getting on a mountain bike might be twice as terrifying. Or they may have never been whitewater rafting. And you get that uncomfortableness where everyone shines in a different way. And, and some people who aren't very athletic, they might be great at reading maps or strategy or thinking sort of ahead. And they become leaders in their own right. Um, and then you have other people who are really strong and they might pull some of the adaptive athletes. We give them ropes and things to pull each other. Mm -hmm. And they're like, Hey, we're going to charge up that mountain. I'm going to put you on my back and I'm, we're going to, I'm going to fire fireman carry you up to the top. Someone else grab that wheelchair. We'll, we'll make it work. And you have these people just step up into these amazing roles. And then you come back and I'll tell you the week after the event, I just get a slew of emails, calls and texts. They're like, that changed my life. Like you just, reset my year and now i feel like i'm more empowered i feel like i have clarity i feel like i could go do anything and that's coming from all, the all of that yeah, yeah all even that you know yeah. will and some of the guys here the that's done the Wendy. event yeah they're you know they've done ironman yeah they've done marathons they've done 100 mile bike rides they've done all this stuff and they're still blown away by the impact of the event so that's our third initiative um it's going to be one that i think grows you know we're playing around in the few models that we could take that type of event to the urban area and do them in cities. Um, I just think it's something that if you got everyone to do it, they would change their lives. So those are the three areas we operate in. You know, a lot of people would like us to, to do an inclusive um, climb and that may happen. It's just, you know, a matter of funding. Mm -hmm. Who's going to step up and do it? You know, yeah. who's going to, what sponsor wants to invest enough because yeah. financially we couldn't, most of our funding comes from the Face America bike ride through peer-to-peer -peer donations, um, corporate support. And we can't right now afford to do as many events or as big events as we used to. But we're we're in a very good spot because I think we're about to really change. Hmm. Um, we're moving into, I would say, uh, a deeper impact. And I think I put that into the um, pre-podcast stuff. I'm trying to get the organization to be more of a year-round, long-term approach with our In relationship with athletes. Yeah, like where like from a like almost like facilitating communication. Because I had a few yeah. questions and thoughts on this. Like I read your answer, mm -hmm. and before I even when I asked that question, um, and my team worked on it, like, but when, when we asked that question, and when I considered where World Team is, and mm -hmm. then I saw your answer, kind of confirmed some suspicions, which is like. There's this whole like, there's this whole sense of like, you know, there's like this anti Facebook movement and the ability mm -hmm. for like just micro community communications, you know, digital communications platforms for people to speak, you know, to just like collaborate over time. And I read your answer about like just creating more connective tissue over time, especially mm -hmm. in between events. And I, meet, I immediately thought to myself, I'm like, wow, I wonder if they're thinking of developing like some sort of like technology platform like messaging platform or some sort of like subs like or could it be a new like a subscription model for like all everyone to just consume to be able to consume information and so mm -hmm. you're creating content mm -hmm. and you're sharing stories throughout the year and you're part of this exclusive club and you have this you're, you have this yeah, kind of, subscription yeah, where, yeah, yeah, where yeah. like through the app or just through the portal you're yep. getting to consume content but you're also able to like you know um, interact with with people from all over the, the country yep. and the world. Um, I went off on a tangent, which that's that, awesome. It, when you start, mind, yeah. I mean, come on, we, yeah. So, um, so, but, but, talk, so, talk to me about what, what you're thinking, and then obviously, like longer, we, you know, we can even talk about this 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 more offline because I have like a few other sure. uh, other thoughts. But yeah, like what like what do you mean by that? So, like, one of the after getting into this role. And leaving Best Buddies, Best Buddies is a very different organization. You'd, you'd fundraise a lot of money through key events, and that money would go to uh, the programs. And the programs would take that money, and there was several different versions of that program. But it was basically doing that year-round approach, not even year-round, but lifelong approach of keeping people connected and giving them support. And that's not really where I saw the opportunity because we weren't having that. It was 
there's so many little organizations like us that are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily doing what we're doing because it's not all, most people aren't trying to do inclusive events. They're like, what do you mean you're going to put 500 people on the road and they're going to be adaptive and, and able-bodied? What do you mean you're going to do it? Most of them are focused on the adaptive athlete or veterans. And it's like, we're going to go, get you equipment. We're going to get you funding for housing. If you're a veteran, there's all these different things Yeah. in our niche. No one is really connecting the dots. I feel like our athletes are really attached to certain events like face of America or adventure team challenge. We have like cult followings for Mm -hmm. those. Like people are so into it and then we don't see them. And then through the Facebook feeds or social media, I see that they're doing all these other events with great organizations. That's, that's fine. But they're all trying to connect more, and they mm. do. It's funny you say that Facebook's becoming this, like, I think for our generation, our generation is moving off Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think for the slightly older generation and for niche communities, it's still the great it's still the great dining room. I use it for groups. And groups, so I right? I use it for like, for like, my, me, like my, our daughter. We have a private group, yeah. and we communicate Parent groups with people. And, and, and so, yeah. I, it's it's weird because we we have a good Facebook community. I want it to be better. I know there's all these, you know, you have problems where you you don't want it you, with a page that everyone follows. They can't post content in the way that you want. It's mostly yeah. through the comment section. Um, there's different ways to do it. But for me, I keep looking through these groups and I know they want to connect more. And I want to be, I want to be able to give them more than just the connectivity. But like there's people who are just injured that are going to hospitals or other organizations to find equipment to learn how to train to ride a bike. And I kind of feel like we have this treasure chest wealth of knowledge and connectivity, but we're not using it. Like we have individuals that have gone through that process mm-hmm. and they're like the greatest people you're ever going to meet. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't I find a way for those people to connect all year round and share that knowledge? Facilitate knowledge transfer. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and how do we get involved? Am I now, yeah. maybe we are going to raise some money to yeah. get those athletes equipment or a training program or put on these little micro events sure. where like I said to my colleague the other day, I was like, why don't you know people always want us to do different stuff like why don't we just like give them a framework yeah and yeah. like here go put on a hike up Manadnock and yeah. what we'll, we have insurance and yeah. we have this yeah. and that but like and go do it go carry small, the torch yeah, yeah go carry the torch but yeah. do it on a small level sure and don't feel like you need to put on the world's biggest event yeah because that's what i th- everyone wants to be a lot of people come to me like I love you to want do to be it. accessible to to anyone yeah people anywhere. always want yeah. to go on big yeah. things they always yeah. come to me like john i love to do what you do I wish I could put on this. I want to put on this big bike ride. I'm like, nah, you, you probably don't want the stress. Trust me. Yeah. But like, why bigger? It's more of a headache. You have so much liability. Like, go smaller. And that's where all the great stuff happens. Yeah. But do it all year round. And yes, weather plays into the event aspect. But hmm. right here, we have everyone glued to screens, which is not new. Everyone knows that. Yeah. Literally, people aren't interacting person to person as much as they used to. So how can I feed them into our pipeline of connectivity, but do so in a way that's useful? Now you say subscription. It's like funny. I, I was talking to a, a colleague, good old colleague. He was like, yeah, like a membership program. I'm like, yeah, but I kind of love the idea of like a free membership. I kind of love the idea of like you're in the group because that's what we believe in. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has the opportunity to be a part yeah. of world team. But as you kind of progress, there may be, times or opportunities where we do need you to raise funds or we do need to not monetize it. I think that's a wrong word, but we need to be able to fund it mm-hmm. and that might come into play. And I think people who can get grants or they can um, personally put in $20, whatever it's going to be, that might be appropriate. But I love the idea of everyone just being able yeah. to get in. I like the, I like almost like the patron model of like, you know, give what you can. Mm-hmm. So like, I like, I always, I, I call it subscription, but like, I love the open subscription where it's yeah. like Beverly block party. It was like, we recommend a $5 donation yeah. or five, you know, like, and that's, and that's fine. It's like a recommend, but if, listen, if you have, if, if yeah, you want to get five dollars, you want to feel like you helped, and you want to give, you know, and yeah. five dollars is a lot to you. Like, and you and you can get five dollars. Like, that's fantastic, yeah. you know. And like, that's my that's always been my issue with some fundraising events. Like at one point in time, 
why I kind of opted for the MS rides mm-hmm. over like the Pan Mass Challenge, which I think we've talked about. Like, we have yep. just the it's just an incredible amount to, of money. It is. To add. And, and, it, and it was at a point in my life where I was starting to maybe get and I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. But then also I was like, but then there's like friends of mine I want to do this with. And it's like there's just a lot like it's it's a hard it's asking a lot. It is of of people from like maybe like more, you know, who have, you know, a network of 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 maybe more blue collar folks or just yeah folks who don't have the deepest pockets but like you know if, if it's if it's the ms ride and the minimum fundraiser is 350 and everyone can you know and your family can give you 25 dollars and right. feel like they're really contributing we're like if your fundraising goal is six thousand dollars they're like i mean some people are almost turned off because they're like i don't want to be insulting because i can only give you 25 bucks they're like literally and, I, so I it's almost like a, it's almost like a reverse um, yeah you're right yeah. there's a group that gets ostracized or, yeah. or kind of pushed out of the really big funders it's tough because i'm in that world if there's a science behind it i'm really into it yeah and coming from a mega operation like best Buys with their um, bike rides and now we've retooled a lot of our fundraising programs to be industry standard it there's a side of me that does say man there's a there's a strategy to get everyone involved but then you have really expensive events. And one thing we struggle with, and I'll, you know, I'm, I'm happy to put it on a podcast, but our Face of America event is really expensive. And yeah. we cut back spending significantly, which meant less athletes that were disabled coming to the event. And I know I got backlash for it. And I was very proud and um, stern in talking to people saying, I have a financial responsibility for the organization. If I sink this ship, just because I want to serve as many people as possible, mm-hmm. then we're this, you know, we're going to be in trouble. And yeah. it was on us to make sure that that event was fundraising the most amount of money to do the most amount of good for the organization, not necessarily throwing the biggest party for the biggest bike ride for the most amount of people. Mm-hmm. It had to do and still needs to be the backbone of the organization. So there's times where I lean on those fundraising yeah. mechanisms, and yeah, you know, the auto charge. A lot of people hate that term or get scared and put down their credit card for any big bike ride. But, you know, and people have been harsh on the PMC for years about that. Well, it's a little different when you have, a, you know, an event that costs millions of dollars like that and someone's got to f- pay for it. I mean, if no one fundraises, and here's the thing about fundraising, which is really hard for people to understand. No, most people will not try their hardest unless they have to. We all know that. If your boss doesn't ride you, you probably he's not getting the most out of you mm-hmm. until you really have to. When yeah. when when you got to put your toe on the line, the fundraising culture from these mega organizations and we treat it the same way. Is if we push you as hard as we can and you really grind it out, you'll get there and you'll you'll surpass your goal. But if I don't put that pressure on you, there's a chance that you fundraise nothing and you'll just come for free or you'll fundraise. Very little. And the stats are there. And it's tough because I live in both worlds. And now what I'm talking about, this whole new initiative for us, I think is going to be that it's going to be very different. It's going to be like, we want to get you to come hang out with us. Yeah. Like you're in, you're part of the tribe. You can play in our sandbox. Yeah, like the tribe now, Yeah. You know, and everyone, yeah. I always think there's a great yeah. book about it. Like yeah. people need tribes, right? Yeah. Like come be part of our tribe, play in our sandbox. Yeah. There's another level of participation, and yes, that does involve fundraising, but it's not a lot of money out of your pocket. That's one thing that I've been very conscious of is you come to our bike rides and most of our events, the registration fee is like 25 bucks. Yeah. But we're asking to fundraise, you know, $800 or whatever it's going to be. There's very little for you to personally put in, but, you know, people travel to the event, they buy hotel rooms, and I get it. So... We're looking for that model of like, I don't want to call it a feeder system, yeah. but it's going to be a way for us to communicate with more people. Yeah. Um, the question is how? Yeah. And, you know, you're talking really high end stuff of creating a whole new platform. And it's like, I wouldn't even know where to start, but it's not a bad well, question to raise of like, is current social media the right platform? For well, there's, that? yeah. And there's also platforms and frameworks out there that yeah. you, you probably could leverage totally. and or there's all there happens to be right now a, a rush of developers that are working on platforms competitively that to, Shocker. <laughs> that, yeah, to so because of all these factors. Right. Yeah. And so 
they may be interested. And I'm spitballing here. I'm always thinking like mm-hmm. I'm a business development mind. I'm right there with you. That's why I think it, about all that. It may make a lot of sense for a developer right now who's got uh you know a, a who to partner with like a like world team and other nonprofits to right. basically almost gift the tech and, and beta and say, hey, like here, like here, beat play this with up, us. Beat yeah. this up. You yeah, know, sort of yeah. thing. And that's how a lot of these 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 products usually get um and tested and get to market. I have a um I have a question for you as we're running up the time that are always like always important to ask, which is of the things that we haven't discussed and you know nothing like adjacent to what you've done at world team or best buddies talk to me talk to boston about what it is that's happening in the world right now that you would like to like big problem that you'd like to solve big problem you know i think it was weird i was swimming with my kid and my dad this weekend and my dad kept saying joey you know you're doing the things just the way your father likes it you know, you're you're outside, you're being active, you're seeing the world, even if it's right in your backyard. And, you know, even though Maine's on our backyard, it's in my parents' backyard. And I think there is a really big problem right now with people, as much as the availability to go do things is never as great as it has ever been. It's mm-hmm. it's so incredible what people can do with travel and mm-hmm. and and doing things. People are very disconnected by being hyper-connected. And that's something you and I talked about. And as much as I use social media mostly to drive my work, um, and once in a while you'll see posts of me catching fish and riding bikes because that in like sports-related stuff because I feel like I have to be related with people or relatable. I I see a big problem where the hyper-connectivity is literally killing people's character off. And it's driving them to envy what other people are doing instead of doing them. And I think there's this big drive, too, to do everything that's easy and comfortable. And I think I put this in the pre-podcast. Yeah. A couple of my old colleagues who I'm about to see. This is why I made sure I asked because your response is is fascinating. One of my former colleagues, Richard Fries, who's a great cycling guru in Boston. I'm about to see at our mass bike board meeting soon is taught me a lot, especially on the bike, but um, just the idea that everything is so easy now that you literally don't have to do anything. You can sit on your couch all day and the rest of your world will keep moving and you're pretty much, it's okay. It's fine. I think it's making people unhealthy and it's also mentally very draining to be so, removed from those natural things that happen every day of being uncomfortable, seeing something new, um, working hard physically that people are, I, I believe, even though the gym culture is huge, they're becoming so unhealthy with so much screen time, so much time in mobile and just being indoors. And I know that sounds like very basic. And I, I feel like maybe our parents said that 25 years ago when the new Nintendo came out and yeah. we were all playing duck hunt and they're yeah. like, get outdoors. Yeah. Like it's the same thing that generations have been saying forever. But like, I feel like the social media world and the, and technology has really put a dent on us with people's personalities and their mental awareness, and their mental health. It's just, if there's something about it, I've seen it. I've seen it with people I've grown up with and people I interact with every day. It's too much time consumed looking at what other people are doing. Yeah. It's one thing to be on Twitter for news. It's one thing to be on there for the culture. And Hey, I'm going to check out Zach's new podcast and Boston speaks up. Here it is. Bam. Got yeah. it. There's another thing to be like really, um, know like in mobile and and watching the world pass you by yeah and i think with when you watch someone die close to you it's like you go through those questions of like oh man i wonder if they felt on their last days like did they do everything they wanted to and this isn't a movie where you're going to go jump out of an airplane and climb a mountain like you know some i'm trying to think of the movie on top of my head of when you know you're going to die you're going to do it it's not like that it's it's more so of like man, we are only here for a limited amount of time and at any moment your time could be up. So not to say I'm the most active person in the world, I'm a couch potato like everybody else, but I feel like 
as a society, we need to kind of break away from all these things that have been given to us to make us to make life easy. And we have to let it get hard. And I feel like you need to get out and you need to get uncomfortable and you need to see the world. And probably the scariest thing is how many people I know who just moved to this area or even grew up in this area. They don't know anything about Massachusetts. Yeah. When I say they don't know anything, it's like they're like their minds are blown that I can catch a a 40 pound striper with a treble hook in the middle of the summer, a hundred yards offshore or that there's sharks on the Cape or that like, like Mount Wachusett is right off your doorstep. Like there's all these amazing places or Cranes yeah. Beach is right there. Yeah. We were just talking, you can take the train, you can go to all these fantastic places. And I feel like there's this generation brewing of like, no, they really don't know yeah. that that's out there yeah. because society has driven them to be sort of, you know, stuck indoors and sort of watching the world go by. And they're so interested in what other people are doing and i think that's i think it's going to change i think you're seeing a massive change yeah no it's it's a cool answer i'm, I'm glad it's, it's it was cool that you brought it up I, I, that's why i wanted to bring it up in the discussion so it's not just in like the written answers uh, i just spoke with deirdre Sattarelli. she's the like head of entrepreneurship at endicott mm-hmm. and she'll be one of the next podcasts we put out we'll actually put that one out before this one um and one of the things her answer was attention to this Mm -hmm. question and she just thinks that like she's really worried about like the attention span of people being spread too much and obviously what the digital age is is doing um there is like you know it's it's something that it seems to me though like the fact that you brought this up and i'm I'm just such i'm like an eternal optimist (laughs) i'm I'm glad that in asking this question recently like two separate people have both kind of brought up a similar answer and that like whoa hey time out like go outside like you know when you said you're like go outside take breathe in fresh air experience nature just, yeah. you know like deirdre's saying like just actually like you know be present in the moment and be here so, now you know what's what's old is new and and there's you know and, right. and, and, and and let's bring it's you know so like good and bad and but let's like let's kind of focus on like the good simple things and so i don't know it's it's about it's I, I feel and i see it in like a lot of my friends raising their kids right now for the most part like you know limiting screen time and things like that it's like mm-hmm. all it's all really valuable but hey at the end of the day and, and deirdre and i talked about this too like it's one big social experiment unfortunately and so totally we're, is, and we're right? like stewards of it and we just need to be mindful of it and we and we need to be you know it's important to like go out and like run around with your kid in the field and, yeah and like you know, go like not you know not look at your phone for hours. Like my uh, the CEO of, of of Fabric Media, he he did this thing recently where he's like, yeah, I'm just doing this thing on Sundays where like I leave my yep. phone at home and I go out all Sunday day. disconnect, you know. And my I'm like, oh, CEO did this yeah. The same so thing. like all that stuff's really valuable. And um, you know, biggest yeah. thing is learning. Like that's my not going on another tangent. Yeah. I'll keep it short. My biggest learning the last two years in this role and and sort of changing my career when I didn't think I was ever going to change it. I thought I was going to you know be doing what I was doing at Best Buy for forever. It's like I'm in this big learning push. I've never really been like that. I've always been really curious about the things that are 10 feet in front of me that I really like. But everything else going on in the world, I was, I've sort of been like, eh, if it doesn't affect me, I don't really care. Yeah. And I wasn't a great learner in school. I did what I had to do to get by. I, it, I'm just a very hands-on, like, go out and see the world, not just yeah. put my head in a book. Now I'm like, I want to listen to the podcast. I want to read the book. I want to hear from other people so I can pick up and learn on mistakes. And I know that sounds so, like, trivial, but it's, like, super important to me. that yeah. I, Like, I don't want to go down this path of, like, wasting 10 years, which I kind of felt like maybe I did in my 20s. Um, and not so pick up, you know. On yeah, I think it, I think it's just a part of maturing too. Yeah, right. I mean, and just like I, I very similarly could 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 share, you know, my you know my own experience, you know, my own experience there. But it, yeah, and now that we're parents, you feel yeah. more compelled. And then your like, north star, them all, you your know? north star shifts to your child and your generational <laughs> responsibility to like your child and like the children of your friends and family and the world that you want to make sure that you leave them is, is a better world. Um, what's the best way to get in touch with you for listeners? Like if folks heard, you know, they want, they have questions about world team sure. and you can point them to world team stuff. Like if, you know, like, you know, one of the things that you mentioned a little earlier, like your mentor was, it was actually in Miami, but the, just in general, like we talk a lot about mentors on this, on um, Boston speaks up and um, you know, imagine like, you know, the bright young sort of, social impact minded entrepreneur sure. might want to reach out to you. Like what are the, what are the right ways to sort of reach out? Yeah, probably, you know, the easiest thing to get involved with world team sports, just go to worldteamsports.org. 
Um, you can see the various events there. The Face America bike ride is probably the easiest for people to get into or get involved because it's a catch-all bike ride and a lot of people figure out their way to ride a bike. Um, if not, find me on any social media, especially Twitter, Instagram, at John Brito, J-O-N-B-R-I-D-E-A-U. Um, start up a conversation, shoot LinkedIn, same thing, at John Brito, and you can find me, you know, my profile. And I, I like to connect with anyone just because I feel like you never know what great relationship you're going to have with someone, but also, I don't know, I feel like bumped in all these random people in my life, and now they've become, like, the biggest mm -hmm. fundraisers mm -hmm. for one of my events, or they just become a really good friend, and, you know, it never hurts to reach out, so definitely do so. Nice, and we'll be, we'll be sure to put um, that contact info yeah. in the post as well. John, this oh, has been a pleasure. No, it's awesome. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks. Cheers, Boston.